Welcome to I Hate It Here, the podcast for HR and people professionals, making the hardest job in the world just a little bit easier. I'm Hibba Youssef. Welcome to HR Therapy. We're going to talk about the talent world today. I'm so excited. So without further ado, you're my casting crew for today. Anessa, I'll start with you. Come on, introduce yourself to everyone. Awesome. Hey, everyone. Um, so I think I was, Hibba, was I your first, first HR therapy guest? When we started. I think you were like my second or third, Wait, honestly. Second. Okay, yeah. But here so, you are ending a season. Yeah, so rounding it back out, I am the CEO and founder of Bike & Co. And basically what we do is we have a small group of wonderful people who really come in and help support people teams, HR teams, talent teams in times of transition. So whether that is we are the first chief people officers in the door, we come in to help a company during a time of transition or transformation in an interim capacity, such as head of or you know VP, what have you. And we help companies grow, scale, pivot, mergers and acquisitions, all of the above. Even sometimes if there's a, a CPO that's going out on a lead, right? We'll come in and, and help to stabilize and keep working on the things they want to keep working on while they're out. So we worked with over 100 companies around the world. I've pretty much seen it all from seed stage through pre and post IPO. It is a fun, exciting thing, but I have seen lots of things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've seen some shit. I have, seen, yeah, I have seen lots. I have lots of tea spill. But yes, it's so excited to be here today again with him. Thank you, Anessa. Cassandra, you're up. Hi, uh, I'm Cassandra. I am a senior talent acquisition specialist. Um, I'm currently at NPR. I've worked uh, for the last seven years in talent acquisition at various different companies, really large companies, 30,000 employees globally, uh, all the way down to 60 people employees in one room. You know the CEO, you know there's uh, beer on draft kind of vibes. So definitely have worked uh, at different types of companies and kind of seen it all when it comes to talent. Um, and so I'm excited to talk to everybody today. I can't wait. We forgot to do fun facts. What do you like to do for fun? Oh my gosh. Well, I have coffee in front of me, so I'm constantly uh, trying new coffee shops and different pastries. Um, that is a major point of my budget um, in which I refuse to eliminate. Uh, we're both foodies. Yeah, yeah, we're both foodies. We talk about tasting menus all the time. So if you guys have any menus in D.C. or in other cities, let me know. I have a controversial opinion. I think L.A. has the best coffee. And uh, so yeah. controversial opinion, but I love L coffee in L.A. And I'm also really big into calligraphy. Um, and Anessa's seen my notes in my notebook. I am Her bullet journal is is amazing. Yeah, that's I love writing. I'm very tactile. Wow. I literally can't. I like pick up a pen and I'm like, what? How, when, how do I do this? Like, my handwriting is so bad. Pens. It's an addiction. So. <laughs> okay, so drop your pen recs in the chat. Uh, thank you, Cassandra. Also, huge booty and coffee lover. Reed. Oh, hey. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Reed Grant. I know Hibba from a uh, past life because I am currently the recruiting manager at Lithic, really awesome um, payments-based fintech company. Um, so Hibba and I worked there um, for some time. And um, in terms of my overall career, I started out in HR and people operations, but made a transition pretty early on into talent, fell in love with the idea of equitable access and things such as that. So kind of just stayed and then made my official like tech fintech um, transition right before the pandemic. And I kind of fell in love with startups. So the startup bug bit me, as they say. Um, so really enjoying that and just owning the entire recruiting and talent process at Lithic right now. So I am talent for the time being <laughs> as we continue to grow. Um, and then fun fact, if I am trying to be honestly human, I would say just like napping when I'm not doing a ton of like volunteer work. So, but since I want to do a little bit better than that, I do some independent um, screenwriting in my outside of work life that I'm really excited about. Ree is truly one of the funniest people I've ever worked with. We would have conversations where we would just be dying on the floor laughing because she's just so funny. I can't wait to read your screenplay someday. Please send it to me first. So I can say a name one. My dream. Okay, so this is a brilliant casting crew of characters today. Um, we got some pen recommendations in the chat. And somebody else said Cassandra already has the best coffee. So I, this is what so, I don't if it's controversial. Know. <laughs> that sounds right on brand. <laughs> I love this. Okay, so 
One quick overview before we dive in a little bit about the state of talent. I think we're all on LinkedIn. We all read the news. We all know everything that's happening. On the left side, you'll see like layoffs are continuing. I just wanted to put this note in there because I just saw the news about Facebook doing another 10,000 people on force redu- reduction in force. I think a lot of companies have been open that maybe they did not cut deep enough the first time. So they're cutting in second and third rounds. Um, unemployment is back to pre-COVID rates. I honestly think in January, it was the lowest unemployment, the lowest it had been since 1969. So that was like a really interesting thing that I observed. Um, and candidates are more vocal than ever about bad hiring practices. I truly like live for the posts on LinkedIn, but the other part of like the candidate experience is also what a lot of people in this audience, the recruiters are also experiencing. And we're going to dive a little bit into that dynamic too um, in the Q&A. Um, so on the right side, you'll see, I love to put some stats in there. Unemployment is at 3.6%. Leisure and hospitality added the most amount of jobs in February. I actually just read the U.S. State Department report this morning, and I thought that was really interesting. They also had a line in there about four out of five employers are reporting difficulty in finding talent. And so this is just like a very interesting time to be in the world that we are all in, because there are a lot of different things that are happening. Like we're coming back from the pandemic. Unemployment rates are lower. We're seeing all the layoffs, but jobs are being added. And now we're hearing from employers. It's actually hard to find people. So why is that? So we're going to get into that a little bit deeper. Someone wrote total mixed signals. Yes. We're going to get into the live portion of our Q&A called Dear Hiba, Anessa, Cassandra, and Re. All my friends are here today to hang out with me. And our first question we have is pretty spot on. What are you observing in the world of talent? Yeah. So I can actually take that because um, I think being in the tech industry, I have a really interesting view into this. I feel like tech is the loudest child right now. And that's why we're, that's where we're seeing all the layoffs. And one thing that I am observing with all of the layoffs that are happening specifically in the arena of tech is salaries are resetting. Um, And I know that can sound slightly negative. They're not underpaying anyone. We're not going back to like per se pre-COVID salaries, but we are kind of seeing a slow in terms of hiring managers. Um, doing the unicorn hunting. So they are more open to the idea that there's factors such as like business needs, budget, as well as capacity planning that play a role into not necessarily accepting that um, the candidate who is going to come at a really high ticket on um, price. So uh, that's something that I'm definitely observing. Man, the wild, wild west of 2021 or 2020 is gone, I think, where candidates were throwing out numbers that truly would make my jaw drop. I'd be like, come yeah. again. You literally don't have a year of experience. You want to make how much? So that's also what I observed, right? It's like the housing market where no one's not completely buying houses, but we're slowing down. <laughs> we're just thinking, me too, when somebody would throw that salary out. <laughs> I'm, I'd like that. <laughs> down for it. Oh my gosh. I'm observing so many more conversations of mine where people have been laid off or are going through a layoff. Every day I'm talking to somebody, whether they were in a tech role or in a in a non-tech role, um, where it just it wasn't as prevalent. I felt like a lot of candidates had a lot more um, were spoiled for choice um, in the last couple of years with the employers. Um, and not to say that they don't have other offers or, or aren't interviewing other places, but really have been affected by those those cuts. Um, and so that's been a lot of my conversations. I've also seen my my applicant volume change. You know, I'm not at a tech company right now. That's not our, uh, you know, that's a huge part of our work, but it's not our main bread and butter of our positions. And so we used to really struggle with tech applicant volume prior to all of these layoffs. Um, and now in the market, we are getting hundreds and hundreds of applications for roles, um, which has just been a really big shift for us. That's so interesting. Do you think people are looking at public radio and thinking that's safer than tech right now? You know, I don't know, actually. I feel like there's been a lot of layoffs in in media, I don't know. So with CNN and and Bloomberg, I, every I feel like every media company has hasn't been immune. So, but maybe tech and and that space has soured people a little bit. So looking at different industries. Yeah. So what about you? And I'll add to what Cassandra said about just you know people might have multiple offers still. Right. We're still seeing and still observing a lot of our clients having candidates with multiple offers. Right. So. 
even though the salaries aren't so high as they as they were, people still want to know that they're being valued for the work and the experience that they bring, right? And I think that especially with all of the pay transparency laws that are happening, all of the news that we see about pay transparency and how it's not really moving forward and staying the same and sometimes even going backwards, people still really want to feel like they're being compensated fairly. So they do probably have multiple offers still on the table. There are quite a few that have choices to make. And so at the end of the day, right, what are we observing in the world of talent? It still really matters what your candidate experience is like, like you mentioned, Hubba, right? Like there's still a ton of people putting out there just horror stories on LinkedIn about what they've experienced. And people will remember that, right? Just like a bad Yelp review, people will remember their negative experience far more than they're going to put out publicly about their positive experience. So still multiple offers, still taking care of candidates is really important. And just knowing that it is a weird market. So, you know, in certain pockets, people still do have choices. I think I've observed all of that as well. And there's some interesting conversation in the uh, chat about how people who have been laid off have severance package and maybe they're not mm-hmm. as much urgency as they used to. And so that's, I think, really interesting to call out. In 2020 or 2021, safety was, I think, the last thing on a lot of people's minds. They were like, oh, this is great. We're going to ride this ride. We're going to make a bunch of money. It's going to be great. And now I think the tone that I have just been experiencing and talking to candidates is like, they want to know that they're going to be guaranteed safety. And ultimately, like I always say as HR people, we can never promise anything. But like candidates are asking questions like, how much runway do you have if it is a start? I'm like, what are your operating expenses like? Are you predicted to run out of money? Because like raising venture capital in this current economy is a bit harder than it was in 2020 and 2021. Years that will go down in history in my mind is like the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. Where I, w- I would call read during offers and just be like, I can't even believe this is a real offer I'm putting together. It's so out there. So I think there's a lot of us are observing a lot of the same things, which is why we're here today to talk more about the talent world. So our next question what can help candidates stand out in this market? So we're seeing like a ton of applicant uptick. Cassandra, you mentioned like more than ever, we're getting a a lot of people that are applying for jobs, but some people in the audience today might actually be candidates who are looking in this market. So what can help candidates stand out? You know, Anessa and I have had these conversations too, where, you know, we posted a role and it, we posted on Friday and by Monday had 800 applicants. It was an overwhelming you know, amount of interest. And we didn't even get, we didn't really even advertise it. And it can be so disheartening to to look on LinkedIn and Glassdoor and you're about to apply for a role and you see, oh, see how you compare to 700 applicants. That to me is like such a like gut punch because I'm thinking if I apply now, there's no way they're going to review my application. They're going to see the first maybe 100, maybe 200. And I'm so far, far down. And one of the things I really think about is that networking and referrals I know that that can have a lot of privilege associated with it to think, oh, how do I get someone who knows someone in that company to say my name, you know, in those rooms. But I think that really rooting into the fundamentals of meeting, you know, the minimum qualifications or exceeding the minimum qualifications in some spaces and having a good resume, I think good candidates are still good candidates and are still going to get that sort of attention at a company and stick out. But it's definitely a really challenging space to be in with this high applicant volume. They're we're not seeing the same kind of choices or the same amount of job openings that we saw a year ago, like you said, about just it being the Wild West. There were there were so many choices. You could go to almost any company last year, and now it's really the job volume is lower. So I would say sticking to fundamentals of your resume and interview, you know, interviewing is is really important. The privilege piece I just really resonates with me. It's something I think about all the time in recruiting and building recruiting processes is uh, like who who are we granting the privilege of having a, a job here? And like, like only talking to referrals can lead to such a homogeneous, like mm-hmm. they've, they've shown that having referral programs actually has negative yep. impacts on DEI. Mm-hmm. And so just thinking about that as it relates to the job market, when folks are being laid off, the, the connecting and the, the privilege piece of it, it really sits with me. I think about it yeah. a bit. One of my first companies was like, give referrals white glove service. And I was like, Okay, that's great, but like give everybody white glove service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing too is like a lot of people say, reach out to the CEO, reach out to the COO, which is like fine. 
But I think what is not out there publicly and we as recruiters and in the talent space and HR space know is like that still actually has to go through the talent team, right? And how many of those messages do we get a day, 50, right? You know, and it's like, okay, we have these 50 people, like you said, that may be sent to us because there is a sense of privilege there. And do we really want to compound on that privilege by making sure they get the first look or the first bits of our time when we have these amazing people in our applicant pool that may not know someone or may someone's dad might not know someone, right? And they're still just as great of a candidate. It just doesn't mean that they're in the circle we're in, and that's okay. I know a ton of resume experts, a ton of career coaches say, just go reach out to somebody, but it still has to go through talent. Because I can tell you, the CEOs and the presidents and the COOs, they do not know how to access the ETS. They are not moving that person forward. It is going through the talent team. So like, yes, to referrals, I'm still big on like companies using referrals. But if referrals are more than 50% of your talent philosophy, you're doing it wrong, right? Like you've got to figure out how to cut down that bias and that privilege and really get to the amazing people out there in the market. It's just interesting, like who even feels comfortable enough reaching out to the president and the CEO is also a thing to think about because people of color and underrepresented groups apply for jobs differently. And so Mm -hmm. they apply for jobs differently. You would assume they also do different types of outreach. And so it's like they might not have the confidence to reach out to a CEO to say, hey, give me a job, whereas other people who historically in their life have had access to privilege and have been given that right to reach out do. Mm-hmm. So there's like a bigger question there, too, that like maybe someday we'll get to. I don't know. Bree, what do you think? Definitely piggybacking off of what Anessa and Cassandra that I think really kind of preparing candidates who may not have sponsorship presence um, to get a referral on how to kind of attack the market right now has been really helpful. Even with my mentees, I've created like the ABCs of um, your candidacy and A, definitely focusing on applying early. There's lots of ATS systems that will actually send you emails as soon as a role is posted. I know LinkedIn also has that feature to just send you a notification as soon as a role is posted so that you're not like applicant number 800. You're more so like at the front end of that. So you get the chance of having your resume seen. Also, another um, aspect of that, which would be B, is beat the ATS. ATS systems are like really interesting, honestly. You have your greenhouses that a recruiter would actually have to go in and look at your resume versus like, Workday, they don't even see your resume unless it goes through um, the system that's looking for keywords and titles and things such as that. So knowing really what the ATS looks like for the company that you're applying for and having a resume specific to those can be super helpful. And then the C of that would be curate your resume. If you're applying to multiple different roles with the same resume, I can tell you right now that it's probably not the best plan of attack, it can be super easy to go in and just kind of like blanket apply. But if you're not going in and at least curating your titles or changing keywords in the descriptions of what you're applying for, it's more so not any respect to your time. um, And you're not really getting that visibility um, from the recruiter. So I can say that like, there's ways to avoid being just another resume in the sea of resumes in a really difficult time. I love that you broke it down to the ABCs. That was amazing. Lots of luck for that too. Uh, I will be thinking about that. I always tell people to carry like their resume to the job they're applying for. I think it's like one of the most powerful things you could do. It's also interesting. So it leads me into my next question, but like something I see candidates like when they really stand out in an interview process or even a resume is that they understand what the company is doing. And so like as much as I'm trying to sell a candidate on working with me and our company, I'm also trying to hear like why they want to work at our company. And so it brings me to our next question, which is about some red flags you've observed during interviews. And this question is in here mostly because I've seen a lot of red flags during interviews. And I think like being mindful of them and hearing from people who recruit on a day-to-day basis will be helpful as job seekers are applying. So I actually have some really good insight um, into this. I can say is, in addition to not knowing much about the company, not knowing what you want as a candidate, I would like to think that I'm like a magician or a miracle worker (laughs) and to the recruiter, but I would have to say I cannot pick a path for you. 
and not really knowing um, kind of what you're looking for next is something that could really um, read like turnover or attrition to us as recruiters. Um, so I would say even sometimes like candidates may know what they're looking for, but we'll use keywords like, oh, I'm open to anything or I'm looking to learn. There's much better ways to say that in an interview um, in terms of really highlighting your strengths and highlighting that um, us as a company would be a good um, fit for your next step than kind of just looking for a blanket opportunity because our number one red flag is we bring you in and you're looking for something that doesn't exist here and then you turn over in less than a year. So um, that's that's really a flag for me when I hear that. I love that you mentioned that because turnover is so expensive to a company. And so really, if you're not thinking like, is this candidate the person who's going to stay with us, work through everything and really thrive in this organization, you're looking at somebody who's just going to cost you time and money. Just tough. There's so many red flags. Oh, it's so hard <laughs> to think sometimes how, you know, what are some of the red flags you can observe. But gosh, the two that I think stick out to me the most are being too comfortable in an interview. I think that a lot of us talent magicians, I'm stealing your word, Re, are so friendly. Um, and that's part of the reason we do this job is that we are approachable, we're easy to chat with, and, and we enjoy talking with other people. Um, and sometimes that can be mistaken for non-professionalism it, it, on the, the part of the candidate in which they volunteer, you know, just a little bit too much information of, oh, I'm not going to log on before 10 a.m. Like, I actually had somebody recently say that to me um, in an interview, and I thought, oh, gosh, okay, well, that would be a maybe a conversation for you and your manager uh, <laughs> about when you might want to log on to work. And then another thing that I'm finding, I, I find especially um, in certain candidates is a lack of listening. You know, a lot of what we do is listening uh, for an interview. But if I can't get a question edgewise about who you are and you take control of the of the interview, I had a candidate recently say, uh, I said, oh, can you tell me about your experience with, uh, you know, end to end development? And they said, no, I would like to go through the job description and let you know which skills I have and do not have. And I thought, oh, you like <laughs> very collaborative with other people uh, in, a, in a team setting. Um, and so. It's it's hard uh, because it, it is a you know phone interviewing especially or even video interviewing is especially is a mix of talking and me like have a saying me selling you the position and you selling your skill set so it, it has to be a give and take in a it has to be a true conversation and I think for me like some of the really glaring red flags are like you know don't say inappropriate things right and I think if you've been a recruiter for long enough. You've probably experienced this, but this is something that seems like common sense to a lot of people, but you'd be surprised as to what we hear as recruiters. And that comes both in the interview itself and then after, right? Whether it's an email that we send you, whether that's it's a rejection, what have you. But it's just the sometimes the inappropriate items, right? So I've had Oh, gosh, I've had a lot of people say that they wanted to work with people that were like them. And when I asked what like them meant, it was very icky, racist vibes like, no, sorry, we're not about that here. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, come on, you know, show me who you are. I want to know. I want to know the real you. But there are some red flags that it's like, oh, yeah, that's not OK. Right. That's not OK in any setting. Also, the red flags that. I think as a lot of us as recruiters in the talent space and even in the HR space have probably experienced is after you get a rejection letter, there's sort of a way to either not reply back and completely fine or to reply back with a thank you. Maybe, you know, maybe something opens up next time. The way not to do it is to send back things like F you, this and that. And we all kind of have had that. And what that does is that just like really makes us feel like you didn't value the time that we spent in the process with you either, right? Because it is a time, it's time on both sides. And we're trying to make the experience the best that we can for the candidates on the recruiter side. And we've, you know, as we all know, we've got a lot of, of, of bandwidth items, especially if and we'll talk about that in a bit, I think, but especially if we're trying to do the best we can on the candidate experience side, you know, just having that respect of time on both sides. Um, and the throwing cuss words back and forth is never going to be helpful to anyone, right? Um, so I would just say it's just very, really um, knowing that you're still in a conversation with someone, knowing that you're, like Cassandra said, not super comfortable with someone, but still 
balancing that line of showing yourself, right? Showing us your quirks and and the fun things that make you you and the unique items that make you you. Those are all things that we want to see because as recruiters, we don't want to have the same conversation 10 times a day. We want to understand what you're motivated by. We want to understand what what you can bring to the table that might be different from the next person we talk to that brings something else to the table. So all of that to say that bring us your quirks, but don't go inappropriate. I also have dropped the F-bomb on interviews before, so I probably shouldn't, but that's just... Oh, no, that, I feel like that's fine. <laughs> if the, you know, if that's the vibe, cool, but like the F-U after you've had a rejection letter. No, no, definitely wrong. Definitely <laughs> wrong. We had a, a great question come in. Um, what if the candidate is neurodivergent or other circumstances that make them ask or act differently? How do you balance empathy with red flags? Love that, that question. Such a brilliant question. I was going to say, I would take that really quick and then if, then, if um, Cassandra or Rewin add... I So when I'm setting up interviews, I like to ask people if there are any accommodations that they need before we go into it, right? Because I want to know. And if there are accommodations that are needed, whether that is we need to work through a system for those that are hard of hearing, we can do that. Whether there is a device that they'd like to use that makes it easier for them, we can do that. So there are a lot of accommodations that we can do. And I like to ask that as we're starting to go down the path of setting up interviews so that we know. And that way, it's kind of like they feel comfortable and I know that they feel comfortable. I also want people to present their best selves. And the way to do that is to be comfortable. And we all know that if you were, you have sort of this neurodivergence or you're you're not as into sort of the ableist side of, of candidates as much, you want to have this piece where you feel comfort and you want, you don't want to wait until the interview to say, and oh, by the way, I have this thing. We want to know ahead of time. We want to just understand what makes you more comfortable because that's going to be a better experience overall. So I always like to ask that beforehand if there's any accommodations needed, anything that they need from me, anything I need to do differently for them. So if that's sending them ahead, I've had people ask me questions that I would ask during a phone screen. I send that ahead because some people need to process it, right? We all think in very different ways. It really just depends on what they need, but most recruiters are very open to that. I think the interesting thing is we go, we've gotten a lot of questions in HR therapy this season about supporting neurodivergent candidates and employees. What I will say is like, I think we're all also learning a lot about yes. it too. Like I think more and more every day there comes out like more guidance, more people who can share like what we should do. And so as an HR team and as a recruiting team, like always learning that there are things out there that we might not have experienced yet, but our goal is to always build the process for everyone. And so part of that means also learning if we have neurodivergent candidates, if we have candidates that need accommodations and just asking, asking, and you don't just say like, are you neurodivergent? You can just ask like, are there any accommodations you'd like us to consider in this interview? I want to work with you to make you most comfortable to set you up for success. Adding that one line in an email, it would feel so different to somebody who's like, wow, now I have the power to ask for the thing I want yeah. versus getting to an interview and it being whatever it is, which is uncommon for like what it normally is. And then assumptions being made. And there being no empathy for what the person is experiencing. I think there's so much ableist language and assessment criteria in a standard interview process in almost every single company. When I first joined previous companies looking for like enthusiasm and a candidate is like leaning toward, you know, that's biased toward potentially people who are net neurodivergent or you just, you know, introverted and that they just, you know, want to, they take their time to process like I, at least as a, a talent acquisition person, if I think, oh, that person maybe gave me a weird vibe, you know, I know that sounds weird, but like my gut is telling me that they might not be a good fit or fit, I don't know what other way I might not, might not be for the position. I always kind of like to pass them through the interview process and get somebody else's opinion because I think that it's so, it can't just be one person making a decision. Like we we have to, you know, look at as a, as a company. And I know that that maybe isn't always the best if, if there's like a biased culture at an organization, but getting in it, seeking an additional opinion outside of yourself is so, is so crucial, which is why having a diverse hiring team is also really important because if you have the same person hiring, like if you have an all male panel or all female panel or, or anything like that, it's not, or all one, you know, race panel, it's, it's hard to then, uh, like you said, have the empathy for folks who, who operate differently. 
it's just interesting to think about like we will make up our decision. I think the number is like 60 seconds after meeting somebody if we're going to hire them, 60 or 90 seconds. And so when I give training to our managers on work week about what hiring looks like, I always say like you have to push past those first 60 seconds, whatever assumption you just made, you have to like remind yourself that is there's bias in that assumption that I just made. And if we can just educate people on understanding that, I actually think it opens up the boundaries so much more for people to be more empathetic in a recruiting process for folks that might have different experiences than us. Sometimes I'll just come back to a candidate. Like if I'm like not sure on a candidate, I'll just be yeah. I'm gonna sleep on it and wake up tomorrow and make a decision whether I want to move. It doesn't have to be right in the moment. Okay. So we've chatted a bit about like what candidates are kind of seeing in the market, what we've been, what we've seen red flags in the interviews. And so I think a good next question too would be like, what are recruiters focusing on? So we're hearing all of the things that are happening in the world, the layoffs with the uptick and unemployment being low and more jobs being added and grenades being lobbed every day at recruiters. But what are the recruiters focusing on right now? Quite honestly, like really truthfully and honestly, I think a lot of talent teams are just focusing on surviving at the moment, just focusing on having a job doing the best job that they can do, but having a job. I don't know about you all, but when I see the layoffs on LinkedIn, it tends to be the talent teams first, then maybe the DEI teams, then the HR teams. Do I agree with it? No, but right now I think what's on really a top of a lot of talent teams' minds are I just am trying to keep my job, right? I'm trying to do a good job so I can have a job. And that's real. That's a real gray cloud over even just our entire industry at the moment, even HR, right? It is it is a real thing. And it is something that I think we just need to name and know that's there and know that it is real and truthful and where we are in the economy at the moment. Now, do I think that there can be some silver linings to the layoffs that we've seen? Yes. I mean, my, you know, this is a really like quick side comment, but I'm optimistic that maybe there's so many layoffs happening so that those companies can actually pay their people fairly and transparently and correctly. Uh, I don't know if that will happen, but I'm I'm hopeful that it will. But the other thing is just like it is cyclical, right? We're focusing on this as recruiters. If you've done this for a few years, you can you know how this goes. It's like, OK, all the recruiters are laid off all right, cool, we're going to chill for two months and then we're going to wonder where all the recruiters are because we need recruiters. So we need them now. We need them fast. And then all, and then we all see this uptick in hiring. And then six months later, all the recruiters are gone. It's just like this cycle that keeps happening, right? And it's it's surprising to me that people still get surprised by it. I've been doing this for oh, longer than a decade and I keep seeing the same cycle happening and I know it's coming, right? And it's just so surprising to me where people are like, oh, we don't need any recruiters. Oh, we need all the recruiters. And it's like, oh, have you not been paying attention? <laughs> this keeps happening. So I think right now it's focusing on keeping a job and then also just riding the wave until the next part of the cycle comes. I love that. It's it, I, the plugging. I think I'm, I've been using the sinking ships, plugging holes metaphor way too often this last few weeks where I'm like, well, and that's a good point, right? And it could be like, you you know, the last recruiter left and how yeah. much they have to do, right? As the last recruiter, or maybe they're the only recruiter left. Maybe they only yeah. were, there only was one recruiter. Yeah. So, I also love the idea of like not getting rid of your recruiters, but like not hate the word. I don't want to use the word repurposing them. But like there are other projects outside of yes. recruiting that the recruiting skill set is very relevant for. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Anything <laughs> else to add? Cassandra or Rhea, I'm getting excited. That's a really good point, Hibba, because that was kind of going to be my add to the conversation that recruiters are now focusing on their pivot. Like what's next? Because it may not be in recruiting. It could be in people operations. It could be someplace totally different. But I think that just even for me personally, um, just looking at what else can we do? Can we get into people operations? Can we get in further into the company just to kind of protect ourselves or just kind of build our repertoire of just knowledge to prepare for what could potentially come down the pipe? So that's what I've been seeing like my peers focus on. They're like, hey, like maybe I should get a certification in something else. Maybe I should like find another industry to focus on, but just kind of that what what's next. You always talk about the downturns in the market as when people seek more education. 
and more advancement and go back and get master's degrees or Erlen Vivo, their certifications and things that they can do. I'm going to be truthful about I'm so in survival mode right now in trying to figure out where, you know, my organization is going. But, you know, even when I'm not in survival mode, I'm always thinking about how I can add value to my uh, hiring managers. Almost anyone could be trained to do recruiting. And a lot of people think anyone can do recruiting. I would argue that it is a highly specialized skill set um, and that not everyone uh, probably can or should be a recruiter. But I think that we add value in so many different ways and provide that extra level of customer service and looking at the market and giving these hiring managers and business leaders insights that probably could avoid a reduction in force um, down the line. Um, as Anessa said, with the cycle that, you know, we can just really just really be those business partners. We're not just, you know, talent acquisition. We're we're like consultants in this space and really can provide that leadership. It's so true. Survival mode, I feel that too. Like I'm just like, oh, like in the bolts here. And it, it's just like the with the line that you said that like everyone thinks they can be a recruiter really stuck with me because if I had a damn dollar for every time someone was like, I could do this job and I'd be like, you don't know anything. Literally nothing. You don't know anything about this. Stop trying. It, Sometimes I let them they, try and then they're like, yes, help. And I'm like, this is hard. I was like, oh, I've hired five people before. And I'm like, I've hired... 50,000 people before either. <laughs> like, I've heard my, I've heard 50,000. Cool. Stop. <laughs> yeah. It's a skill. It honestly is, I think, funny, but also very annoying for all of us that are recruiters or people ops people. I think we're like the number one job that people are like, oh, well, I think I can do that. And you're like, oh, <laughs> it's a little harder than you think. Like, not trying to get everything. But I think it's because like recruiters and HR people have such a versatile set of skills, which leads us beautifully to my next question. Like, there are transferable skills. So what are some that recruiters could potentially use to transition to a new role? We just provide such an extra level of like organizational and operational perspective. God, I could list on forever, like consulting and planning. We're into data-driven insights. We can sell things. Like we're, we're I always call sales for HR. Like we are the front line of a market. We're the face of a company sometimes. It's so many different ways in which people interact with us that I think that, I mean, gosh, maybe this is like, you know, just like a dream, like idealistic of me, but I'm like, we could do anything. If you can be a recruiter and be a successful recruiter, you could do anything. Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> you can. I see a lot of recruiters doing the recruiter to sales transition, which I think is like very similar skill sets. But I just got off a call today where I was telling someone about like, to be in HR, you have to have the most interdisciplinary set of skills. So like the best comparison is like sales people just really need to sell. They do outreach. They negotiate the close. HR does all of that within just recruiting. And then we also do internal comms. We also have to negotiate with candidates and manage hiring, ma like manage expectations and hiring managers. And so I think if you're in HR, your toolkit is probably full of like 15 plus skills, which would work for possibly any job that doesn't require technical nature. Yeah. Project management, somewhere said too. If you were to take everything and make that interdisciplinary kind of like career and something that is definitely going to pay you a really <laughs> lovely package, you might want to get into project management. Like project management and recruiting is apples for apples and the project managers make a lot of money. And usually it's if you're looking to also move into um, leadership, it's a really great path directly into the um, COO seat. So I, I was definitely going to drive home that project management side. And then there's a lot of support, even more so than in, um, for recruiters for project management. You can get your PMP. Um, you can go to school and get kind of like side certifications and minors in project management. So there's a lot of um, more like support out in the market for people who are interested in that. Recruiters are really good at reading the room and reading people. As a former journalist turned recruiter, there is a lot of people that can go the other way too, right? Because what I found is that, okay, journalism, I'm asking people questions, I'm gauging their body language, I'm trying to see if they're telling me the real deal, right? And it's kind of the same as a recruiter. It's like, okay, I'm asking you questions, I'm gauging your body language, I'm trying to see if you are actually being authentic with me. And there is such this piece of, so many things that we do that you all have said that 
can just be such amazing pieces to other parts of the business. And I realistically think that as Cassandra and you said him as well, and you raise just if you are a successful recruiter, whew, sky's the limit on what you can do. Like, I think more recruiters should be CEOs. I think that more recruiters should be COOs. I think that more recruiters could be head of ops, right? Like we could do so many things. I think recruiters, like we've all said, have sort of this bad rep in, in that it's easy and people can do it and anyone could learn it. And for the right personality characteristic, a couple of these pieces that you, you need to kind of have with your intuition to know if it's the right move or the wrong move, you can be taught that. But I also think that there's just this powerhouse consultative ability that very, very few companies, and we've worked with over 100, very, very few companies even grasp the ability of amazingness that they could get from their recruiting teams. Because if they really empowered their recruiting teams to do the most that they could do, their business could change almost overnight. Their revenue would pop up. Their profits would go up, right? Like, I've seen the amazingness of an empowered talent team and how game-changing that is. So there's a lot that we can do as on the talent side. And I think similar to HR, there's a lot we can do on the HR side too. Sky's the woman. Y'all, recruiters are my heroes. Um, We've reached (laughs) a segment where we're taking live questions too. So this is like, dial your HR person. You have four, three, four people, three recruiters. Four. I don't know what words are so hard. We're not <laughs> Numbers work. You can <laughs> scan this and you can ask questions. And guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually answer all your questions. Here we go. Okay. First question. Do you see any emerging benefits that are gardening attention this year, like used to attract and retain outside of salary and bonus? I have a conversation about this yesterday. Um, People are, candidates are really into any benefits they have that allow them to um, spend more time with their family. So they're looking in, especially in the remote environment, how FMLA plays into that because a lot of companies are not covering FMLA for remote companies. So writing policy around that also, in addition to that, just um, parental leave overall and how much time they're actually getting and what amount of your salary is covered for that because we're coming out of a pandemic where a lot of people lost loved ones and they're realizing or having a renewed value in that family time and really looking um, into how companies are going to be able to support them. Yeah, parental leave is a big one. And now, Sarah Cassandra, anything to add? I've worked for employers that have had the reimbursement for cost of continuing education. One thing that's really lovely about you know the current company I'm working for NPR is we're very flexible with our hours and people mm-hmm. love that. Um, it just like Reese said, with the renewed sense of I want to spend time with my family. We have a lot of working parents and to be able to support them in that capacity is really fantastic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, someday I hope a benefit will be the four-day work week. Oh, yeah. I hope that. Dander, it's not even a benefit. You just get I mean, it. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like this movement. I think we need to get there sooner rather than later. P.S., small plug, I'm writing a book right now and it will be a part of the book, but is personalizing work, right? Customizing and personalizing work because we do that for every other part of our life, our lifestyle, our health, our exercise, our food, our diet. Why do we not do it for a third of our lives, which is work? Personalizing and customizing work and companies leaning into that now will have such an advantage. Do you think the new developments in AI will impact the talent and recruiting world? Is this a positive or a negative? Chad GPT just came out number four today, right? Like this week. Oh, geez. <laughs> I have a thought on this. I will throw my thought out and I will then be silent, but I have a very hot take on this. On um, any AI they have proven ends up giving you results that are sexist and racist. Yeah. A, a great follow is the CEO of Textio. She always posts about this. They had chat GPT write performance reviews and the bias was unreal. Yeah. Without even giving any identifying features, it actually was like bias against the men and the women, how they wrote the reviews. And so my thought is like, I would hope that AI could streamline some of the things we do. However, everything I'm seeing about it in regards to people and people operations is that it actually skews and actually gives you bi- like straight up bias results. Well, we just, we live in a racialized society. We cannot ignore that. I think that what people want is an unbiased source, 
but there's no such thing as an unbiased source. We talk about that in scientific writing where people, you know, with BMI, and mm-hmm. it's about yeah. who's funding and who is writing the science, who is funding and who is writing the code. We can't divorce those concepts. We don't live in a vacuum. Technology is not created in a vacuum. I had virtual interviews where they like ask you to submit a video. I hated it. I was not a fan of that process. I'm not a fan of this personally. (laughs) I met like a cognitive behavioral, she has a PhD world around studies, how people at work and all the things. And she herself said they asked her at Amazon several times to lead the project about like recruiting AI. And every time she's like, I have read the studies, I'm the scientist on this. Like, no, you're not going to be able to do this in a way that does not give you biased results. And they like went back to her time and time again. She's like, I'm not doing this and started her own fun society to like talk about cognitive bias that comes into play when you're doing things like recruiting and people ops. So I'm a no, but I don't know. For year, no, for for now. no for now. No for now until we figure it out. Um, okay. <laughs> I love that someone's also that. asking this. What is the new standard for the virtual interview processes? How many rounds? Oh, gosh. Too many or too few? And what we is- have so many thoughts about this, don't we, Cassandra? <laughs> we had to we had to oh narrow this down at NPR. <laughs> so many thoughts. What's the magic um, number? So magic number, I would say, for it depends on the role, depends on the level, depends on what department you're in. There's not a like a magic number overall. I will say, though, like if you're going past three interviews, it better be for a high level role or a technical role or something. Right. Like past three interviews, which is like an hour and a half, two hours past like a two hour mark. It's got to be a high level role or very technical. And because of, you know, all of the pieces, I don't even love a technical interview anymore because Chad GPT or neurodivergence. There's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't still be doing those things. But I have a real problem with those who make people come in and spend like eight hours with someone or or here, meet this person, meet this person, or meet five more people, no meet two more people. And it's just like it drags on and it keeps going. And my thought with that is if you have something over two hours or you have something that's more than three or four interviews, stop your process Go back and train your interviewers and your hiring manager because that is where the breakdown is. It's not in the candidate. It's not in the talent team and it's not in the interview process. It is on your own training and your own ability to gauge talent on the hiring manager and the interviewing team. So, sorry, that's like a soapbox and a hill I will die on. <laughs> so, I'm not. May I ask? Definitely. A third Re- anything else said? Yeah, I I can definitely echo everything Anessa said. My current manager, love her to death. She says that if after the um, recruiter screen, if it's taken more than two people or two interviews to determine whether a candidate is strong enough to fulfill the role, um, something's wrong with the process. So can totally echo what Anessa says about that. It shouldn't be this just long, exhaustive um, process. It's just you're getting someone vetting whether they're going to be successful in the current culture and whether they're going to be successful in the role and you just move over. Everything is kind of a game of chance. You're just trying your best to reduce that risk. Yeah, I say no more than three to four. Sorry, that's like my baseline. Sometimes it's also just about getting the hiring manager on a call and just saying, okay, what what information do you feel like you didn't get to ask in that interview? And is that a realistic thing that you are going to be able to assess in another 30 minute call or another 45 yeah. minute whatever make of call because if it's not and that's something you're just going to have to roll the dice and learn on the jo- like you're not going to be able to fully see someone in a work experience unless they're a temp and you're looking to hire them and then you've already seen absolutely them. absolutely is there there always seems i this question's perfect there's always no. a power struggle between <laughs> hr and talent acquisition Oh, they want us to win, but they tie our hands. Any suggestions? <laughs> God, I'm being seen way too hard right now. Any suggestions? I know that other people struggle with their relationships with their HR advisors, and, and I have. I'm not going to say You've that. You've got I a great one. I've got a great one. I really yeah. agree. HR team that I work with. But 
it's all about listening and person and and empathy, really. Like because you think, oh, but you're trying to like trying to figure out why you think they're standing in your way because that's so hard. Like because I'm thinking, oh, why didn't they just send me the comps? And they're thinking, why does she keep asking for you know like? And it's just understanding each other's motivations and where they coming they're coming from because otherwise you're you have to work together. It's not going to work. Yeah, and you're all on the same team, right? Like you're all on the same team. Same team. Yeah. I feel like I'm fighting hiring managers more than I'm fighting anybody else most days. Yeah, yeah. I can. Yeah, it's the hiring managers. But one thing that I found is once again, that partnership, that consultation that we provide them and then just a better understanding of what recruiters do. Like we don't just sit on the phone all day and then ask the same set of questions like we do so much more than that. So I think just more transparency into what we do on a daily basis has helped my building my relationships with the hiring managers. I love that. You all have shared so many good tips today. I'm honored that you all came to my session and agreed to share all of these with people. But we're we're rounding the end of it, which is bittersweet for me because this is the season finale of our season two. Lots of great questions were asked. I hope I get to them in my newsletter and future sessions of HR therapy. Some quick final takeaways. I think we've shared a lot of great context. We all please connect with Anessa, Ree, and Cassandra on LinkedIn. They're great people to follow. They're all wonderful and they have lots of things to say. And I think we're all kind of experiencing the struggle that is the talent world right now. And so I just, this feels silly to say, but remember to be kind to people because everyone, you don't know who's going to lead you to your next opportunity and you don't know who really needs your help. And while we can't like overextend ourselves always for everybody, I do think there's like an, a part of this where we can all try to be nicer to each other because a lot of people are dealing with like life-changing events right now. But thank you to the recruiters who are very often like the unsung heroes of companies who are treated terribly by hiring managers and executives, but you all bring us the great talent every day. And so big shout out to all the recruiters that are here too. I see how hard all of you are working and I know you get shut on a lot on LinkedIn and I don't appreciate it. So I'm always there for you if you need me. With that, thank you again, Anessa, Ray, and Cassandra. Be sure to reach out to them on LinkedIn, connect with me, subscribe to the newsletter, come to HR Therapy. I'm so glad all of you are here. And I appreciate you all so, so much. Everyone have a killer day. Yeah. And go yell at a hiring manager. <laughs> go tell a hiring manager they're wrong. Okay, that's my one. <laughs> love it. Go yell at a hiring manager. Yeah. Happy March Madness. I love someone just said that. Yeah, in the head. Bye. Bye, all. Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with all the latest HR resources by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you love I Hate It here, tell an HR friend. I'll see you next time.